0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect, the growing sports podcast taking over your internet airwaves. I'm your host Mitch Michaels. Today's episode will be a good one, as promised. CJ Deer from Fox Sports, my good buddy, social media producer there. He's going to discuss Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's legacies following Super Bowl Fifty One. Will the Falcons be back, or will the Super Bowl hangover bite them? Look at the NFL Hall of Fame class of twenty seventeen. Talk about guys that didn't get in there, who's next. We're gonna talk some hoops. Kevin Durant's gonna play Russell Westbrook. He's going back to Oklahoma City on Saturday. We'll break down that game and more. And then I'm gonna talk to Dan Mount. He's a writer for the hockey writers. We're gonna break down the NHL action this season. What to look for in the second half of the season, the Nashville Predators, the Islanders are on fire, and a lot of coaching changes for already this season. We got a lot to discuss there. Also, how bad the Avalanche have been. You're not going to want to miss that. This is one of the worst teams in pro sports history. Mitch Michaels, Money Mitch Effect. Let's roll. All right, now joining us back again, CJ Deer. CJ, Fox Sports is CJ Deer. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you for having me as always, man. I'm excited
1: to be up to be back
0: on the show. Well, The football season is over. It was a lengthy journey culminating in one of the most improbable, probably the most improbable ending we've ever seen to a championship season. The Patriots beating the Falcons 34-28 in overtime. We can rehash that again. It was a 25 point deficit they faced in the second half and that they did overcome CJ. Without breaking down the game, I want to talk a little bit about going forward for what this game means. Let's start with the, the winning team, huh? Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I, I don't like to have that GOAT argument, but it's very hard not to put those two guys at the top of their respective professions. I definitely think
1: they a uh, um, the best duo of all time. Because they up there with Bill Walsh and Montana. I just feel like, Brady and Belichick always had to do less. Always, they, they didn't have as many resources as the 49ers dynasties had. And, you know, so I put a lot of that towards Belichick because I can never forget that the Patriots start the season 3-1. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, then if you go back and look at Brady's first Super Bowl, I think he only threw for, like, not even 200 passing yards. So it's always the Bill Belichick in his defense. And then he just built just a dominant Program organization where if you follow his system, you follow his team, you're going to be successful, you're going to be winners. And then for you to have your leader binding to the, your best player, which is also your leader buying to the system, this is the success you're going to get. So I'm always, I go back and forth with my 10th and Brady as the number one quarterback, but I kind of feel like Belichick is a past wash.
0: Yeah, it's hard to not put Brady or it's not or excuse me, it's hard to not put Belichick at the top of the coaching list. Starting with him first, he's just done it for so long, and they've been consistently good. We talk about the Super Bowl wins, but this 16 year run, that they, well, they missed the playoffs twice, and I think one of those years was the Brady ACL injury, and they still were a competitive got team. Yeah, they were like 11 and five and didn't get in. I'll say for Belichick. He just knows so much about the game, but there's a lot of guys that know a lot about football. He knows enough about the game, but still has the wherewithal to make those good crunch time decisions when you don't have all day. You have to think on the spot. He can adapt. I think that's the biggest thing to him.
1: And he never wavers. I mean, I, if you just go back and look at the Super Bowl, they stuck with their game plan. Like you know, they just you know, um, you can tell that the uh, Falcons towards the end of the game got away from the running game. You know, everyone knows. I know that they were known for passing the ball, but when you have such a huge lead, you're milking the clock, you're running the ball. You're letting the play clock go all the way down to five seconds, and then you're snapping the ball. Brady, I mean, um, Belichick, on the other hand, he's just like, look, we're not going to do too much. We're not going to do too less Because, you know, any other coach or any other team put in that situation, they're trying to go for the deep ball. They're trying to go for the mid-range ball. Like, they're constantly forcing the ball down the field what did they do? They ran the ball. They kept the, the run game alive. They steady the bubble screens, the short passes, you know, just letting your receivers make plays. And, and then gradually they were able to get back into the game. And so that just to me is great culture because if you put anybody else in that situation, you're going to see them get flustered and start, start drawing up plays that they wouldn't normally call on first and second down.
0: Yeah, and I think too, I mean, you know, it. for all the credit that they get for having a sophisticated system, a lot of what they do is advanced, but CJ, a lot of what they do is simple. I, I was a product of an athletic career that was the, the KISS method, the keep it simple, stupid. And I think what they do, you probably saw CJ as a college football player yourself, plays that you had run before, plays that it was just basic. They knew what they were good at, I mean, you know, and they were able to execute them.
2: Yeah, and
1: the thing is, they play boring football. It's not exciting. Like, the reason everyone, including myself, was so fascinated with the Atlanta Falcons and, you know, really bought into this offense because it was exciting. It was fun. And like, I um brought up and reminded me of the greatest show on turf, like, the team that I grew up watching and and enjoy watching. And so that's what us as fans, you know, that's what we crave. We love the big plays. We love the long throws. We love passing the ball. Or running back out the backfield, making plays like a Marshall Park compared to Tevin Coleman, and Devontae Freeman, like Freeman juking people. You know, that's what we enjoy. That's satisfying and gratifying that fans to watch. But the, the Patriot way is look, this is how we're going to make our fans happy and proud. We're going to get you these rings. It's going to be boring. You know, <laughs> Tom Brooks is not going to be like Peyton Manning taking shots down the field, you know, orchestrating four or five play drives. They play. it might take them 10 plays to get it, but you know they're going to score, they're going to milk the clock, if they don't get a touchdown, they're going to be in field goal range, and that's just the Patriot way. It's
0: more football, but it's smart football, which in return is successful football. And looking at the Brady-Montana greatest ever debate, I always thought Elway should get some love in there as well. Dan Marino never won a championship, but he was as gifted as a quarterback. Peyton Manning, obviously. I, I don't know. The era's changed. We talk about that all the time, but Montana took a beating back in his day, wasn't able to play as long as Brady is. Brady has the best career of any quarterback. I think that's not even close. I think you could take his career, maybe of any football player ever, and say, this is the greatest career of all time.
1: Yeah, career all time, but to me, it's just, and that's nothing against Brady, because like he even said, this is a team sport. We all know it's a teams sport at the end of the day. But it's just like how people try to compare MJ to LeBron. LeBron can never surpass MJ because he's how many losses he had in the final. MJ never had a game seven. You know, he mm-hmm. was just that dominant. I correlate that to the football field. Montana never lost the Super Bowl. He never threw an interception in the Super Bowl. Like, this, when the, when he was on the biggest stage, he performed to his highest level his team was successful so in the thing with Brady is like I love him. he's clutch he comes back you're never out of the game if you have Brady under seven
0: right you know I just yeah. feel like at
1: the end of the day on the biggest stage when you need your best player to step up
0: Montana always did right and I think what Brady did at 39 is probably the greatest performance from a guy that age ever maybe in maybe in sports it's tough not to have him in the discussion. I think it's always going to go on that debate, and you know it's different eras. I think both of them can be recognized as the greatest. I don't think I think it's a preference. There's no way yeah. there's no way that Brady at least doesn't belong near the top of that list. Now he's cemented himself as one of the, if not the greatest, at his position. As I talk with C.J. Deer on the Money Mitch Effect, I, I want to give you a minute. I was hopeful, like you, that the Falcons would win their first <laughs> championship. But how does a team overcome a loss like this? And, you know, the, the way they lost. I, I like this team. I think they have a future. But it doesn't get much worse than this, which could have been the worst sports loss of all time.
1: I feel like they will be fine. Oh, If they can keep the core pieces together. No, you got Matt Ryan on center. You got Julio on the, on the outside. But if they could keep that duo in the backfield, Kevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman... And that's what's going to be get tricky because they're going to have to pay Freeman to keep him. You don't want to let him go because you can see in the Super Bowl. That's a lot of people didn't talk about that. when Tevin Coleman went down. That's when a lot of stuff started going downhill.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you
1: need both of those running backs if you want to uh, continue to at least push for the Super Bowl again because they have the the um, talent to continue in the in that defense plays So well, I was.
0: Yeah. So impressive,
1: that defense. And then they just got tired at the end. And that's when your offense supposed to help out the defense by running the ball. But like I said, with told Coleman going down, you know, that just really messed up. And I don't know, maybe Kyle Shanahan was trying to do too much, trying to get so pretty. You know, you so cocky, you you like, <laughs> whatever, I'm about to, you know, step all over this team. But I definitely feel like if they're able to keep the core, uh, keep those two running backs, really. Just keep those two running backs, continue to build that defense through. Maybe free agency, but really the draft. I think they have the talent to get back there because well, Matt Ryan in his ninth, tenth season, yeah, I believe So, you know he's, he's going to get him a Super Bowl before he retires.
0: Well, I hope you're right for their sake, and they have those running backs. It would have been nice to see them use them in the game with a 25 point lead, but that's another debate entirely. I think there's some potential there every year. We say the Super Bowl hangover can is going to get broke this year. I think there's reason to think that this Falcons team can get back here. The division's tough. It's not going to be easy to get there, but we're hopeful that Atlanta can build on this. Ryan has played about nine years in the NFL, but quarterbacks are playing longer. I think he's right at you know the midway point of his career. I do want to say, though, C.J., One thing that will be forgotten, but I know not by you and me, the degree of difficulty by Julio Jones on that catch. I I think that was one of my favorite catches of the season, and it's a damn shame that that got, you know, (laughs) what happened to that catch. I mean, he had a couple of sideline
1: grabs. I just, every time I, I think it was, what, two or three. I can't recall, really. But I'm just like, oh, this dude is not human. It's just like the body control is, for him to be that tall, that big, his body control is unmatched. Like I have it I mean, it's like so graceful, like wind swine
2: on <laughs> the <just>, side.
0: it's beautiful <laughs> to watch. It is. He, for my money, he's the best receiver in the game. Oh, I'd like to. He has now. Yeah, hands down. I don't know if I'm at a hands. I think I'm getting to a hands down. I think I think I'm getting there. He's been playing a lot more. He hasn't been injured. He's been churning out consistency. He he would have won the receiving yards title again, but he missed three games. I mean, come on.
2: Yeah, I mean he was always my number one wide receiver um in the game because of his size, his athletic ability, and you know just great hands, great route
1: runner, fast. Like I say, has the size, but the person that was. Up to him with
0: Antonio Brown, but I, I still don't think he's there yet. So, CJ, before we move on to another topic, the Edelman catch, which will go down in history as one of the craziest, greatest catches in, in the Super Bowl in the history of the game, is that the greatest one, do you think? Or we've seen a lot, you know, and I think we've seen a lot of them in recent years. Uh-huh. And what did he say was 70% luck? I, I appreciate I mean, the honesty. Well, I
1: mean, I think it was. No, like you said, seventy percent luck. But at the end of the day, just to have that hand-eye coordination, because I, if right. I was looking at it in slow motion. I'm like, it hit his hands. It hit this, um, the defender's hands. It hit the defender's leg. Like it didn't hit the ground. <laughs> it just, I mean, <laughs> it was a, it was a spectacular play. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely up there. I'm trying to. It's,
0: For me, it's
1: up there with that Tyreek catch. See. I mean, because yeah. re Catch was caught by because he was beating. he had to go up, pin the ball to his helmet while he was falling down. You know, getting tapped, and then he had to hit the ground. You know, a lot of people fall when they go up and hit the hit the um hit the ground. They're going to lose the boss. So, but this one was tough too because that ball bounced off one guy's leg, shin, the calf, two hands, he still was able to come down. When it was, I mean, and then at that moment of time, so what's that three? Super Bowl, no, oh, not count last year's Super Bowl, but the other one with the uh, from the Malcolm Butler interception to yeah, the uh, two out of three. Itch, the catch yeah. this, we've seen some great Super Bowl catches in the
0: past four years. We have, and and for me, CJ, I put that as great as it was. I like to put context into it. I put that outside the top three. I think it's just below the Manningham catch, which doesn't get talked about. Uh-huh. A lot of adversity there. You know, they were losing at the time in that game, and, and he got his toes inbounds there. That is probably be my number three. Tyree is my number two, CJ. I, I think that was in, insane, and I think it was just remarkable. Didn't think I'd see a better catch than that in the Super Bowl, but I did the next year when Santonio San Holmes, and I hate to put the Steelers on top, but that's the catch. Say, I, you, I, say, I, I was just thinking, i like, I hope you don't uh, leave out San No, Holmes. no, I can't. <laughs> I hate the Steelers. Holmes is a Buckeye. And I think he's a San Antonio guy too, but yeah, that was the catch. For what it meant, the touchdown in the end zone to win the Super Bowl, that's number one for me. But Edmonds is right up there, and it's just see, it's remarkable how every Super Bowl they there's something we haven't seen before. Right? Like you think you've seen it all. I, a so we'll move on to some other things. Still talking with CJ Deere on the money Mitch effect. I do want to point out now that just a quick mention, now we now that Brady's playing well, the one good thing with this is that Jimmy Garoppolo can you know, start looking for property in the Cleveland area, but...
1: might be franchise
0: Hey, man, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. But I do want to talk about the Hall of Fame vote. We mentioned it a little bit on the previous week's show, the final five members getting in. And I want you to say this first, CJ. I know this Hall of Fame class has mixed emotions for you. Let's start with the negative. There's one guy that you champion a lot. For the Hall of Fame. So I want you to take this time to tell me why, you're, why you think Steve Atwater is a Hall of Famer. Mitch, that's why you're my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I remember. Atwater from Sean. I mean, at the end of
1: the day, two Super Bowls. He's the, the hardest hidden safety ever. I mean, he could cover. He, he could just, like I say, when Steve Atwater on the field, you knew. It. His presence was felt. I mean, he he made big plays after big plays. And, you know, maybe I am a homer. You know, he's from my hometown, went to my high school. He used to, uh, was real close to my uncle. But like I said, at the end of the day, he's the reason why they has those Super Bowl rings. He's the reason why the Broncos has those Super Bowl rings. So, like I said, I don't I can't really make a strong case right now. I wasn't prepared for that one at the end of the day. Like I said, all you have to do is turn on the film,
2: what they say. Turn
1: on yeah. the film. And, 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 and then you will see why he should be in the Hall of Fame. The
2: number one
0: safety ever to play the game behind Rodney Lott. Okay, uh, you know, you made a lot of great points, and I appreciate anybody repping their hometown and repping, you know, their school. Hardest hit, hitting safety ever? I think we got to look at some Jack Tatum highlights just once or twice. Yeah, but. Jack Tatum
1: too. Jack Tatum <laughs> yeah. is up there. But the thing is, today... Steve Atwater, his would still be legal. Yeah, that's true. I'm <laughs> <laughs> my,
0: my boy Jack
2: Tatum,
0: but oh. Atwater was going yeah. up the shoulder and not, he wasn't the Yeah, Yeah, Roger Goodell would have Tatum in a straight jacket by his sophomore season. There is no way he would allow him on the football field. But, look, the serious side of it is it's a loaded class, and I think Atwater is eventually going to get in. I hope it's soon, but there are a lot of safeties that are looking that are in front of him. There's a lot of tough...
1: Brian Dawkins, if Brian Dawkins get in before him, I'm going am
0: agree with uh, T.O. It's a flaw process. Well, T.O. didn't get in, but I want to focus on the positives first of who did get in. And there aren't that many people that have had more of a positive impact in their community, C.J., than what Kurt Warner meant for the St. Louis Rams. The St. Louis Rams quarterback, not the Los Angeles Rams quarterback. He never played for the team in Los Angeles. Just going to point that out. But Warner in the Hall of Fame, that's a good one. I think that's good for the game, and, and I know he meant a lot to your childhood, but this is a good guy, uh, an improbable career, and a deserved Hall of Famer. I couldn't disagree with you
1: at all. I mean, like you say, the greatest show on Turp is the reason I wanted to play football. You know, him throwing the ball to Isaac Brew, Torrey Holt, Isaac King, Ricky Pro. I mean, I could go on for days, but, you know, it was just – and Marshall Fox, too. It mm-hmm. was just – Magic every time they touch the field. I just, I could, I thought it was a video game because it just seemed like someone was always open. Kurt Warner threw that beautiful pass, you know, that beautiful ball, so I always completed. And like you say, the, the main thing to me, though, is Kurt Warner, his story. Coming from a being a, a
2: grocery store clerk to playing in the Arena Football League mm-hmm.
1: to winning one Super Bowl, taking another four franchise to the Super Bowl. And then, not he's a Hall of Fame. I mean, the story is incredible. I feel like that's something that kids need to hear to learn. Like, if you work hard, if you believe in your dreams, you can achieve anything. So, I mean, his story is incredible, and I'm extremely happy for him and his family.
0: Yeah, I was a Warner fan myself, uh, and, and I think just never giving up. I mean, how many times? Even after he won a Super Bowl, CJ, goes to the Giants. You think that's it for Kurt Warner? And then he finds his way to Arizona, his hunger, his competitiveness gets into the Super Bowl and they almost win it. It's just a great story. And the other guy that I'm really happy for is Terrell Davis. Because you know, with LT, I mean, enough can be, cannot be said about how great LaDainian Tomlinson is. He was the only first ballot player on this Hall of Fame list. But Terrell Davis, another running back, who only had five dominant years, but they were as dominant as any five-year stretch in NFL history that was a guy, along with your boy Atwater, along with Elway, that took a Broncos team that had never really done it before and got them over the hump. I thought Davis was the ultimate game-changer at a time when running backs were, it probably was, the deepest pool of running backs at the time, and, and Davis stood out.
1: hmm and I agree. I mean, I'm happy for him as well, because he definitely deserves it. I mean, I know his career and his stats don't match up to a lot of the other running backs, but like you said... When he was on the
0: field, he was one of the best. And he, he deserves to be enshrined again. And I got to shout out Jason Taylor. I wasn't sure he'd get in so soon. He was a dominant defensive player for the Miami Dolphins and an Akron, Ohio, uh, an Akron zip is where he went to college. So he was a small school guy that, that worked hard to get where he is. But here's what I'll remember about Jason Taylor, CJ. Remember ESPN used to have those strongman competitions? Taylor won yeah. just about every year. For the, well,
1: So
2: slender,
1: yeah. I was, I was a look. I mean, I
0: definitely, like you say, that's our childhood. So I remember seeing him play, but I, you know, he he was he's good, and it's good but especially the Miami organization. Yeah, and the thing I, about I just want to I, p- mention that man. strongman thing again. He never won the bench press; that was his worst event. But he just would win everything else. Being slender, being a beast, and the thing about Taylor that I remember was that his pass rush was kind of, I don't want to say revolutionary, but you didn't see a lot of DN's that were athletes, that were as quick as him. I think the impact that Taylor had was ushering in a new era of defensive ends that could really move.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can put him up like with the Lawrence Taylor, because, you know, he, he yeah. really revolutionized. Well, he was an outside linebacker, but that edge rusher. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like you said, that slender just get up real fast, long, and that's the thing about D-linemen. Oh, it's left. If you were able to get your hands on the offensive line before they
0: could touch you, they lost. Yeah. So
1: his, his height, his speed was
0: unmatchable. Now, do you think, switching our attention to another member of the Hall of Fame class of 2017, do you think Morton Anderson, as much as I like to bash kickers, if there's any one guy that I would put in the Hall of Fame as a kicker, it probably would be Morton Anderson. So while I wanted to bash this move, I don't think I could hate on this one.
1: Well, I can, but I, I you know, <laughs> I'm gonna <would> say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do agree with you. If, if there's one kicker that should be in the Hall of Fame right now, he is Mortensen. By how long he played and how dominant he was late in his career, and so. But with all the other people that should be in the Hall of Fame, I feel like he could have
0: waited just a little bit. Yeah, it's almost like it should be a special voting process. He shouldn't take away from other members that get in and. The last member of the class of 2017, CJ, Jerry Jones. (laughs) Jerry Jones, (laughs) Cowboys owner in the Hall of Fame. I know it's a special wing. I know it's a senior member and football contributors. And, look, I get the flack that a lot of people are giving this selection. But given the fact that it doesn't take away a spot from someone else, and given the fact that he was the GM and, quite frankly, a football visionary for a lot of the new rules, regulations, stadiums, for one, I think it. I think it's not a bad fit as well. I think it was going to happen eventually. Why not now when he's still alive to see it?
1: He definitely uh, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Like you said, he's been a pioneer, in a lot of things that's been initiated in the NFL. And you know, like you said, those dominant teams in the early '90s. He was not only an owner; he changed the way that we look at football. You know, he made it exciting. And what they say, everything's bigger in Texas. And he, <laughs> You know, that's an art. And I love this story, too, coming from Arkansas, from Little Rock, and then, you know, becoming a um, successful businessman and then bringing up a franchise. So I definitely think he deserves to be an all of fan
0: And and maybe the first GM role to trade down, right, to trade a star player to get draft picks? I mean, that was the Herschel Walker trade. It changed the way people look at that position. It changed the way people look at GM.
1: Right, and then offer, yeah, just and getting people from small schools too. If I'm not mistaken,
0: mm-hmm. is the earlier lot to some. Yeah, well, it's going to be a big party in Texas this summer. Just if you see Jerry Jones out, he's going to be having a good time celebrating his Hall of Fame induction. Before we before we switch sports, CJ, the guys that didn't get in, there's a lot of beef. But to we keep coming back to this, Terrell Owens not in the Hall of Fame. It's now year three, and Yet again, he didn't make the final 10. He didn't make finalist level. Should we start to accept this? I mean, I feel like it's not going to change now. I think the voters have made it clear where they stand on this issue of T.O. in the Hall of Fame or not.
1: I don't think it's right. I mean, I've heard, this is the best argument I've heard so far for T.O. For T.O. not being able to get in the Hall of Fame. Like they say, can you tell the 97-year history, if you were to write a book, on the NFL, the 97 years so far. Could you tell that story without mentioning T.O.?
0: No, you couldn't. And that's why in baseball they should probably let in all the people that took steroids, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, true, because at the end of the day, and then when you even look at T.O., he's number two in uh, reception. I mean, I don't know the, the category, but he's number two, basically, in a lot of categories for receivers. So my thing is, I understand what he did off the field. I understand... His presence in the locker room was pretty negative. You know, he never really had a good relationship with his teammates. But if you would have anybody in those locker rooms, maybe besides I even think Donovan McNabb would say that would you want those would you want to take those years back you had with T O when you went to the Super Bowl and everything? He's like, No. I would do it all over again. Yeah, you
0: know? that's the it's thing. Just, I mean... When you
1: deal, when you're dealing with alpha males and you know, Receivers or divas and selfish and you know at the end of the day what people fail to realize is that they want to win just like everybody else on the team they just feel like for the team to win they need to be involved because if they're not involved the team won't be successful they just they're so confident in their ability it might come off as being too cocky or selfish yeah and it's, it's, a, it's a disgrace I don't understand why he's not in the Hall of Fame
0: I know, I mean I, I know why and it's, it's his it's relationships with people. It's teammates, it's with organizations, it's with the media. for the, right, yeah, the writers it's the too. Writers. As a football player, he's one of the greatest receivers. I, I, I said this last earlier this week, the most complete receiver I've seen. I miss Jerry Rice in his heyday. This is the most mm-hmm. complete receiver I've seen, which is why I think, look, if it was a tie, if it was close, I totally get this being a tiebreaker. He was not a good teammate. He he squandered all of his he burned all his bridges. But it's not close. Talent wise he's in, stats wise he's in. I get the fact that he's not likable, but and I get the argument that we can't let everybody in, but this is a guy that needs to be in there, as you said. Look, he's not gonna get in next year. Randy Moss and Ray Lewis are No, oh, right. that, that's the thing. <laughs> and I what I remember the
1: debate when we were young is like who's the better receiver. Randy Moss or T.O. Of course, I always went with Randy Moss. But my thing is, too, if you're going to put Randy Moss in as a first ballot Hall of Famer, now he wasn't no angel. (laughs) Now, Randy Moss had his issues, too, you know, mooning the green. Like, I'm just, if we're going to pull out everyone's dirt, like, Randy Moss will not run across the middle. No. Randy, you know Randy, Randy Moss had a, didn't work all when he, you know, he just took the money in Oakland and then put his best foot forward. Yeah. So my thing is, if you're going to um, hold that against To, we got to kind of do the
3: same thing for Randy Moss because I do feel like they're going to let the media um, like him for.
0: It. Yeah, it's going to be a mess. We're going to have to. We have to see. I think we're going to be waiting a few years before we see To in the Hall of Fame. I think Moss is going to get in for his bout, but. T.O.F. left the way. Both those guys had their issues, but man, could they play football. Well, As I sit here still talking with C.J. Deer on the Money Mitch Effect, before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit about a different sport. That's the NBA, some hoops action. One of the main storylines going on right now is how bad things are getting, C.J., in New York. Phil Jackson and Carmel Anthony, I didn't think that would be the feud of the year, but here we are. Phil can't stop tweeting and saying bad things about Carmelo, and Carmelo continues to want to be a part of this organization. What has gotten us to this point, CJ? And is there any end in sight that looks good?
1: I mean, I, I felt like, looking at this whole situation, I felt like Melo has been very mature. And, and it's crazy. Phil Jackson has it. We're always going to look at Phil Jackson as being one of the greatest NBA coaches of all time. But the way that he's handling this situation this is making you scratch your head. And kind of deter his legacy a little bit because, like you said, he's handling this situation completely wrong. But um, just to get to the point, they should have never paid him that much. They should have never signed him to that mega deal, I mean that extension. Because the thing is, we know what type of player Carmelo is. He hasn't changed since he was drafted. <laughs> I mean, he's always been the same player, and, then, and now I just feel like Bill is tired, he's tired of him being on a team, and so this is the way to—I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know where this
0: coming from, but I just
1: know. Yeah. All in all, Mel has been very mature throughout the whole situation, and then, like, I don't understand why Phil Jackson tweeting.
0: Yeah. So the tweet the, uh, that took place this week, for those of you listening that don't know, it's you don't change the spot on a leopard which was in reply to an article that was written basically bashing Mello, kind of a Phil Jackson-endorsed piece that did that. He's kind of acting like a child. It's strange to see. He's acting immature. You know, we talk about, CJ, about how when these athletes do ridiculous things, is there something going wrong in their personal life? I don't know if CJ, I don't know if CJ fills over the Genie bus breakup. <laughs> so I'm going to look yeah, at that. post that on social They post that
1: on Twitter, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know why he's tweeting. I don't, he's trying. I think he's trying at all costs to get Carmelo to waive his no-trade clause. He's resorts to, you know, flinging mud at him. And it's unfortunate. Phil might go down as the greatest coach and the worst executive of all time. Yeah. The Knicks
1: should have never even hired him.
0: No, <laughs> I mean, no. He's trying to mail in his job. on the table before he even accepted.
2: You know, it took him a month to just accept. So his heart was never ended.
1: And so I just feel like he's really just driving that
0: organization down. I'm the same way. I think he's letting them down, and I think, to it's hard to really feel that bad for an athlete that's making the money that he that Carmelo is making. He probably shouldn't have signed the deal in length that, he's do, that he did, considering the fact that his peers are signing shorter deals to get more gains themselves and to have more flexibility with the roster with their own personal benefits. So... It's a messy situation, and the Knicks, it's so sad because Porzingis looks like a player. They have some pieces on that roster. It's just a nightmare. I don't know how anybody, like Jeff Hornacek included, can have success on that team. It's it's ugly, man. You'd like to see the Knicks get back to good basketball, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case.
1: Yeah, It's going to be a while. And then I think even Porzingis, I don't know. Dude, like you say, he, he enjoyed playing with Melo. Like, you want to continue. You don't want to see Melo go... I just feel like it's just the deal between Phil and Melo, like you said, maybe this with the trade rumors so they don't have to uh, come out any money or whatever, To the deadline is quickly approach- approaching. So, I don't know, it's a very interesting situation, but I can't believe that. I would have never thought 10 years ago that Phil Jackson will be out here tweeting <laughs> like a
0: little kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a mess. It's not an ideal situation. That's where we are at the NBA. We're looking at this. The teams that are at the top are at the top, and at the bottom, it's just a, it's a worrisome trip to mediocrity at best. Well, look, one last thing to talk about, CJ, Saturday night is Durant's return to OKC. Warriors play the Thunder. I know you're excited about this one, especially given the fact that Durant and Westbrook, the relationship has not thawed at all, and Durant's getting some flack from his own team with Draymond Green getting in his face the other night.
1: Right, I, I don't really look too much in that. That's going to happen on teams. You got to criticize each other. Like you got to sometimes yell at each other. Sometimes you got to let let them know like if they're doing something right or something wrong. Because I'm pretty sure in the locker room, you know, they was able to shake hands and just move forward. But you know, we got to blow it up. But like you said, I think this is going to be really good. Because how many points is um Durant averaging against the Warriors? So I mean, they um, against the Thunder so far, close
0: to forty. Yeah, it's got to be that high. He he's able to put his game face on. He's one of the athletes that thrives in that villain role of just being able to be a mercenary out there.
1: Like he's going to be trying to force shots, and I don't think he's going to get close to his average against that team because you know the the rest of the Warriors are going to try to feed him, get him going early,
0: and it's just not going to work. And this is going to be the OKC Super Bowl. We know that, right? Yeah. We know that this oh, is. is. This is the biggest game they'll probably play in all year. I don't think the team's that great. They miss Cantor, who decided to punch the, the, the chair and, and broke his wrist. So he's not going to be out there. It's going to be tough. I don't think Durant, he's got the luxury of playing with all those All-Stars. I think he's a smart enough player to realize he doesn't need to force the issue. This actually could be a game where Curry goes crazy. Or Clay. I mean, that, that's possible,
1: but just knowing Durant... And you can just see the demeanor that he carried the last two times they faced the Thunder. This is personal. Now, if he if he's not hot, you know, maybe they will take over. But I'm pretty sure they're going to try to get him going early. They're definitely going to try to. But I feel like his emotions are going to be too hot this time around because you're playing back in your old stadium. The people that love you, that was screaming
2: for you, that was cheering for you for all of those years are not booing you yeah. every time you touch the ball. Every time
0: you touch the floor, <laughs> right. every time they put you on the jump, like, it's going to be a great game to watch. Right, and is there anything that Russell Westbrook won't do in this game? Like, is there anything, is there any risk? Is there anything that he wouldn't try doing in this game? I feel like this is going to be peak Westbrook energy for eternity. Oh, yeah, he's going
1: to drop. I mean, the main thing, I feel like he's just going gonna to basket. I don't think he's going to be doing a lot of jump shots. I don't think his g- I don't think he's going to be pulling up too
0: many beer ranges. He's going to really try to um, get that paint. Yeah, well, I'm excited for it. I think you are as well, and I do think that you know the Draymond Durant relationship. I think that's something to monitor because I think it ultimately should be fine. But Draymond Green's a competitor. He's definitely a talker. Let's see what that goes. Let's we'll see how that goes. Any player on that team, there Durant. It has to be Draymond because they spent so much
2: time together this summer with the Olympics. And another thing about that, when you start seeing players yell at each other, they're comfortable with each other yeah. and they trust each other's opinion. Because if no one, if, if they're not
1: that close with you, they're not just going to yell at you like that and then it's just not going to go. But once you're comfortable with each other, they feel like they're able to chastise you kind of let you know hey man you're doing this wrong you need to clean this up and they don't mind getting in your face because at the end of the day it's all love we're trying to win and you know this is what
0: we have to do right i'm i'm there with you i i think teammates aren't really as close if they're not willing to yell at each other and call each other out in key situations and
1: especially out on the bench like that when you know the cameras are
0: on oh yeah for sure they're smart enough to know that Draymond is a different beast.
1: Like he's just comfortable just doing anything. But like I oh yeah,
0: (laughs) you could say that again.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I I feel like I think they they would be fine because you know just thinking about Back to the Summer, they were already jumping around. They looked like they were super close. If you just look at their Snapchats or any other social media outlets or when they were doing interviews
0: and everything. So yeah. Well, I try not to look at I try not to look at Draymond's uh, Snapchat. (laughs) That's something I kind of avoid. But, no, I see what you're saying. These are teammates. Teammates are going to bicker. But we know the Warriors are good. We know they're going to be in it for the long haul. That's just just a family, just a sibling uh, sibling incident, as I say. So, we'll that's, see. That's how I'm thinking. But
1: I am, I mean, if you just want to speculate anything, you could just say maybe because his numbers are not where they were here a couple of years ago. I think at the end of the day, he knows his role on the team. and He has that bitter taste in his mouth losing the final last year. They probably would have won if he would have played. Mm-hmm. So I just think he knows what they need to do to win. You know, he let Durant know. Like, look, we didn't want to
0: win already. So you're going to follow up our league, Right. I'm going to tell you what to do. We'll see how it develops. But CJ Deere, thanks again for coming on the show. You can find CJ at Fox Sports and as well as the, uh, the head of the uh, Steve Atwater Hall of Fame meet club meetings. We can yeah. catch you there.
2: Thank you again for having
0: me, man. It was fun. Big thanks to CJ Deere for coming on the show. Good friend of mine. Very, very wise sports takes, although we all know Jack Tatum hit harder than Steve Atwater. But in all seriousness, thanks to CJ. And football season's over. You know, it's hard to believe. I think I could not have gotten through this podcast without having the guests that i did so i want to thank all of them as well all right now it's time to talk to dan mount he writes for the hockey writers He's always putting out good content for them we're going to talk nhl action we're going to talk about who's rising in the western and Eastern conferences the eastern conference playoff picture all over the place and who's going to be some potential trade deadline targets as it does quickly approach here very very soon all right it's dan mount now on the money mitch Fair. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect, we have special guest Dan Mount. Dan is a hockey writer for the Hockey Writers, covering the great sport that is hockey for a very long time. Dan, thanks for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So we got a lot to catch up on. The NHL season is in the second half. It's been moving at a very brisk pace. And Dan, there's a lot of teams that are exciting, a lot of storylines to follow. But I want to start with one that doesn't get the press that. Quite frankly, I think it should, and that's the up-and-down season of the Nashville Predators. And you know, Dan, as much as anyone covering this team, that they have a lot of expectations on their season, on what they're projected to do. It didn't start out that great, but recently they've been able to turn it around. Dan, what's your sense of this team, the direction that they're going in now? Firmly in a top-three spot in the Central Division, do you think this is the start of something, or do you see some habits that could rear their ugly head going forward?
3: I think it's going to be on if they can catch Chicago. It's going to take a lot of hard work to do that. But this team can catch Chicago, and they're pretty good at home. I mean, they've had some road struggles. They've cleaned it up a little bit because they've really cleaned up a lot of their turnovers and everything. I know they sent Mike Rivero down to Milwaukee, and they've gotten a few more heavies like Cody McLeod. That's a good deal, I thought. He does a lot of the dirty work, and they just picked up Vernon Tiddler. And they put him along with the cloud with Austin Watson. It's sort of like a full-time checking line. I mean, there's a lot of people try to run four scoring lines, but there's not really a good lockdown line. I think that's one of the best in the division. So if the defense keeps going, if uh, guys like P.K. Subban, Joe Forsberg, James Neal start scoring again, I think Nashville has a legit shot. And uh, I think they can give Minnesota all they can handle. because I think
0: Minnesota's going to win the division. Yeah, it certainly looks to be that way. Right now, and I want to ask you in particular, Dan, about the goaltending and defensive situation. We've come to expect a lot out of Peck or Renee defensively, the Predators team as a whole. It's kind of a different team, I think, for me from the outside, looking at how they play. It's a little more offensively driven. Do you think this defense is good enough to make a serious run in the playoffs still at this point? I think it's been a
3: bit of a period of adjustment and everything. I mean, you still got a P.K. Subban, he takes a lot more chances than Shane Weber did, Mm -hmm. and uh, everyone's saying, well, Montreal won the trade. No, they'll probably win the trade the first couple of years, but I think it's going to pay off in the long run for Nashville. I think he's getting used to his partner. Ryan Ellis, in that Canadian road trip to Western Canada just before the All-Star break, made some plays. He was fantastic, and they just added him to the leadership group with uh, Roman Yossi and James Neal and Mike Fisher, so... uh, He's getting rewarded very well and everything. The thing that, that's going to be bugging me, that I think is going to happen around the deadline, is does Matthias Ekholm become a piece in a trade? Yeah. I know national defensive pieces down, like Dante Favreau, he's playing in college hockey at Boston University, and he might, they might try to tempt him to come up and everything, but do they throw Ekholm in in a deal to try to? get something like a Matt Duchesne from, uh, from Colorado or get some big-time scorer on a team
0: that's lagging, and would like to hit the reset button. I think, you know, Duchesne's going to be out there. I think we all know that. And it, it is, the Predators are in that spot where we're not sure if they are good enough as is. They're, they're close. Do they make that move? I'm with you. There's an adjustment period, and I think everybody is understanding the fact, especially now, that Weber in the short term is going to give Montreal an edge. But in the long haul, Band, if he can adjust, if he can at times rein it in, can play well. I think this is a team, though, to still look out for. And, and I do like the fact, I know Rene is 34 years old. The Suarez kid, I like him in goal, and I like giving Renee some rest. I think that could be crucial down the stretch. He's played 10 games. I think he's about five, three, and 2". I think he could be a factor for keeping the Predators fresh, especially in goal. Yeah, I think UC Sarah
3: is the future. That's why you see him come up on usual rest duce arena, they're not playing Merrick Madeline because they're playing UC Sarah to try to give him as much work as possible and they immediately ship him back down to Milwaukee to try to get even more shots and everything. I think reps and experience are what he needs at this point. I mean, they're gonna ride Arena for the next maybe year or two. I think this is what's necessitating the pin now attitude with Nashville is, hey, we want to get a good shot with because, we don't know if we're going to have another one. You know, we might have to hit the reset button when guys' contract, like the Mike Fisher, is going to come up pretty soon. But I think he's going to play one more year, maybe give a hometown discount and everything. That guys like James Neal, his contract might be coming up fairly soon. This is a win now. Dave Davey's gambling right now, but mm-hmm. I think Nashville, I don't know this year's the year, but maybe next year, especially if Renee can get some rest and everything, The Saros can show. Like at times he's had some. He's had a shutout. He's had time, so He's played fairly well. I mean, he's going to be the guy in that when Pat
0: DiRieni hangs him up. Yeah, he certainly played well in the short term. We look for him as a long play, but the Predators want to win now. You illustrated that, and it's going to be a wild ride in Nashville, getting into the regular season and into the playoffs. And I do now want to switch topics, Dan, and talk a little bit about some other teams in the recent weeks, as recent as this week, actually. The NHL coaching carousel is moving. We have four now firings this year. The Bruins were the most recent one, firing Claude Julien. The Blues before that with Ken Hitchcock. And Dan, these recent two, to add with Florida and the Islanders. I mean, these are all teams that were playoff caliber teams. These aren't bottom feeders. Are you surprised by how many good or what are expected to be good teams are making coaching changes midseason? I am surprised.
3: I thought they were going to wait out Hitchcock. For the rest of the year, and everything, basically, because of the years of service, I thought they were going to wait him out. Mike Dow was a pretty capable coach, as he was in Minnesota for the longest time. But Julian thing just boggles my mind. It's basically Don Sweet and Cam Neely like, covering themselves. <laughs> like they're covering themselves. Be like, well, we need a fall guy, and we can't fire ourselves, you know. So, what's there with Julian, who will not be unemployed very long? I'm sure. He can has a pick of the litter, and there might be more openings to come available after the season's over. He can go basically wherever he wants, and he turns that team to an instantly credible contender. They might not make the playoffs the next year, or they actually might literally land, but he gives them credibility because he's been successful so long. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's won playoff series. That's the guy you want behind the bench. He's no-nonsense. He's won basically everywhere he's gone and everything. And uh, the only team... Falling all over themselves to, to get them. and I think he might end up in Las Vegas because it's a no-pressure job, at least for the first couple of years. I know Bill Foley says, "Hey, I want to win the cup within X amount of years and everything." And close you in would go a long way to making that dream reality.
0: Yeah, and uh, how about Dan? The timing of the move—I mean, that you could—you <laughs> couldn't have scripted a more "quote unquote" random timing of announcing the firing while the Patriots are having their Super Bowl parade. I thought that was just fantastic yeah. for what it was. <laughs>
3: I think he was. Tr- I think Sweeney and Neely were basically trying to uh, uh, bury the lead, we call it, in the business. They <laughs> <laughs> were trying to push him out the door and everything while well, Tom Brady's uh, talking about Roger Gadal. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: But they, they, the boss, to me, give them credit. They caught on to it say, all right, what are you guys really doing?
2: You're it's right. just
3: really a, a lousy firing and everything, it's timed poorly. They could have waited, let the Patriots have their day and everything, and then they would have had the front page, back pages all for themselves and everything. I next mean, day they would have waited and everything. But uh, I think eventually, unless Cam Neely and John Sweeney uh, pull some moves out of their backside, uh, they're not going to be there very much longer. And uh, I think that the Jacobs family is going to have to blow the whole thing up and start over again, which which would be pretty sad because Boston's a really good hockey market. They kind of team be on the edge needs. Plug some holes on defense and everything. You can't blame everything on Tukarask this year, and uh, guys like Brad Marchand—they're doing everything they can, you know. And I think the one piece that's missing is they miss Noah Lucey. I mean, I know he, he's a dirty work guy, but sometimes you need guys like that. I mean, look how successful he's been in Edmonton, uh, protecting Connor David.
0: Yeah. Well, they had an identity with him. They were a tough, brash team that didn't back down. That played two and then at times threw the whistle. But they don't really have that anymore, and you're right, they're missing you know, their their machismo guy. I will say this, though. The Julian firing was being dangled for as long as last season, about a year. So it, it got to a point where I think they just grew tired of each other. I think they, they were looking for a fall guy, and it's unfortunate because he is a great coach, one of the better ones in this league. I do want to go back to the booze though, for one second. It was just an awkward situation for Hitchcock and Yo to be... You know, the coach-in-waiting situation in any sport, I don't care what it is. It's very awkward when you have a guy saying, when you have management saying, this guy will be next. And quite frankly, I think Armstrong was looking for his own fall guy there, Doug. Armstrong didn't do a great job, especially with that goaltending situation. It was a bit of a mess. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a rare thing to make that work, because
3: they had their own deals and everything, and uh, just got you no know, on borrowed time and everything. Yeah, I was just waiting in the wings. And it's not going to work. in that goalie situation, what can you say? Mm-hmm. And it's not like Brian Elliott proving everybody wrong, saying, hey, he's doing so great in Calgary. he struggled, struggle too. But if you traded Allen or kept them both, it's still he having this sort of problem and everything. There are a couple of guys that, and you really got to blame the defense that's having some trouble and everything. I mean, Carter, if Carter Hutton's the one pulling you out of the fire and <laughs> keeping you over know, the floor of the playoff race. Doug Armstrong might want to try to reevaluate his goalie situation. I know the the, the Hutton signing was sort of a, uh, hey, we need a backup. Hell, yeah, he'll do. And uh, Hutton pulled more than his
0: weight in everything this season for St. Louis. He certainly has. It's been a bit of a mess across the league. And as you mentioned, the Vegas job is going to be, he's going to have some openings here. They got some coaches that are sitting in the wings that they could look at. So something To see there as I talk with Dan Mount on the Money Mitch Effect, we continue talking NHL. Dan, I want to talk about one of the more surprising stories in the NHL this year. And I was dead wrong. I wrote this team off. I'll be the first to admit it. But the Islanders, one of the teams that fired their coach behind Doug Waite, are suddenly on fire. One of the hottest teams in the last 10 games, 7-1 and 2. Dan, how are the Islanders doing it, going from bottom feeder to potentially sneaking into the playoff picture? Well,
3: I think Wade's uh, installed some discipline. He's installed some uh, smart play and everything. But the main key is they solve the their Coley situation. I mean, having a three-headed monster, people fighting for playing time, that's eventually become a distraction, especially in the media market like New York. I know the uh, Knicks problems and everything and the races of mm-hmm. success and the hot uh, stove of the Yankees and the uh, Giants football success and everything this year uh, kind of takes uh, headlines away from the owners, but... It was festering and everything, and it was going to blow up. So the Islanders did the best thing they could do. And uh, now Thomas Price is getting rewarded with a contract, and uh, he's really done a good job at goal. I think he's happy now that he has earned Doug Wake's trust. He is the number one guy, the unquestioned number one guy. And uh, it doesn't work for a goalie's confidence when you're like, all right, I don't have to look over my shoulder because I don't have to look over my shoulder for a whole lot to take time away from me. I don't have to walk over my shoulder to see if up the room going to take some of my time playing time away. I'm the guy. I'm the number
0: one man. Well, and I also think, too, there's certain stats that just blow you away. Looking at it right now, the Islanders are tied in goals scored with the Oilers. They're top ten in the league. That's just stunning, and I think a lot of that ground has been made up in the last couple weeks when they found their identity. Bailey is back to dishing out assists. We all know how good John Tavares is, but remember, this was a team that prided itself on having the best fourth line in hockey. That wasn't the case for the first couple months of the season. I think they're getting back to their identity, and, and you know what, firing a coach is always not you know the most popular move, but it is a new voice in the room, and, and I think it was a wake-up call for a lot of these guys that started to get back to basics. I don't know if the Islanders are as good as they're playing now, but if it makes sense, then I don't think they were as bad as they played to start the season.
3: No, they weren't. I thought they were going to be a playoff team this year. And I think Doug Wade is auditioning. If he doesn't get the interim tag, which would be beyond stupid, Star-Snow, to just, just drop the interim tag as soon as possible. But I think he's auditioning for other jobs. If They move off from somebody else. If they, if they move on to stay at Coach Julian, and everything. Doug Wade's coaching for uh, a bigger paycheck or an opportunity and everything, I and mean, he's making the most of it. And uh, remember, when the Islanders were struggling, you heard those rumors creeping up. Well, if tomorrow's going to stay, mm-hmm. tomorrow's going to go to Toronto and everything, go back home. I think to settle
0: that issue fairly, fairly quickly. Yeah, well, he's one of the best players in the game, and he definitely is somebody that you kind of like to see surrounded with better players, but hey, he makes it happen. We've seen how dangerous he can be if he can get into the playoffs, and I'll use that. As a segue, Dan, I've been following hockey basically my whole life and I've never really seen anything like this. You have the you know, seven playoff teams that are not quite intact with the Atlantic division, but the wild card spot, you have the Rangers at 10 points ahead of the Flyers, 69 points to 59. But from the second wild card spot, Dan, to last place in the conference, there's five points difference. I, I, I don't know why, I don't know how it happened, I'm at a loss for words, but. This is one case where literally everybody in the East is still alive.
3: Hey, and it's great for people that it's great for TV ratings, it's great for attendance, because, hey, your team's still in it. you got a shot to get that second wild card spot and everything. And it's really going to affect the trade deadline, I, I believe. You know, what's it going to do? Is somebody on the edge going to well, we've got we to take a risk here, or uh, do they want to gamble draft picks? Do they want to gamble prospects and everything? Uh, it's like maybe a Western Conference team that's, uh, might be flagging and everything like a Vancouver might be in play for, for uh the sell or uh, a couple especially Colorado they're going to be in play for uh, they'll probably be the have the most ping pong involved in the Nolan Patrick sweepstakes but uh it really is going to make the trade deadline very interesting out east and everything because there are teams that
0: aren't far away that they're going to want to roll the dice and get into the postseason yeah, I mean, there's a lot of storylines for that last spot, and as great a story as Toronto is, they're not exactly locked in, only with 60 points. They could easily slip out of their spot. The Flyers definitely came back down to earth, but I keep saying it. how How is Tampa Bay right now tied for the West worst amount of points in the conference? That just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I look at this roster top and bottom. I like John Cooper as a coach. I don't get it. I'm still... Maybe I'm just stubborn, but I'm still thinking that they can figure out a way to get to the playoffs.
3: Well, it all depends on when if Steven Stamkos comes back and everything. And what is going on with Ben Bishop right now? Right. I, he is probably used to be one of the most reliable goalies in the league and everything. Now he's toiled in Tampa Bay and not a lot of people heard of him. But the big giant, he's been fairly good in that. And now it seems like Vasilevsky is taking time away from him and everything. And you uh, really have to wonder what's going. What is going on? With this Tampa Bay team, they were one of the more fundamentally sound teams in the playoffs. They rarely made mistakes, and that's not the case <laughs> I mean, this year. Guys like Tyler Johnson, you know, they're, they're trying their best and everything, but they just can't seem to get one foot in front of the other. I don't believe Tampa's dead, but uh, you got to wonder what's going to go on. And could Ben Bishop become uh, somebody worth dangling at the trade deadline and everything? They've got a go of vice who's aimed at Vasilevsky, uh, two very talented young goalies, have be fairly cheap to be able to keep some of the pieces uh, for
0: the Lightning in. Bishop makes an interesting trade nugget and everything, and you especially don't want to lose him for nothing in the expansion draft. Right, and you know that a change of scenery can help out a goalie, as we've seen time and time again. I mean, just look at the Vesna watch list, and that says what a change of scenery can do. There's a lot of teams that could use a goalie, but maybe it is. In Tampa Bay's best interest to make that deal, I'm I'm with you. This could be this is one of the most intriguing trade deadlines. I do want to switch though to the Western Conference as I still chat with Dan Mount on the Money Mitch effect. As we look at the Western Conference, I want to pose a question to you. You know, obviously, if you disagree, that's okay. We like competitive disagreements on this show. But I look at the Western Conference, Dan, and and I see the point totals. I see the teams at the top of the conference and the teams you know fighting to get into the playoffs. It looks a little top heavy to me. I just don't know if there's going to be that Cinderella story, that team that can sneak into the playoffs and make a run. What would you say to that statement?
3: I kind of agree with you on that, but like the wild card teams. Remember Nashville last year? They were they were a wild card team. They beat Anaheim and they took San Jose to the edge. They did. They took the worst time of the year to play the worst game of the mm-hmm. year, or anything, but. Uh, I could have easily seen Nashville go into the conference final, and I could have easily seen Nashville possibly win and get to the Stanley Cup and everything. He is is top-heavy, but I'd be very afraid of the wild card teams, especially if Edmonton finds a way in and everything. That's a young team. I know, don't know if they'll be scared of the playoff moment and everything, but uh, that's a young team. That's an exciting team, and uh, I like them very much. I don't know if I could see anybody working their way in. Maybe somebody from the Pacific could possibly work their way in, like a Los Angeles or something. But and if they get if they hold tread water and Jonathan Quick gets back and everything, and LA finds a way in, I'd be scared of them and everything, especially with a rested Jonathan Quick that hasn't faced the whole season worth of shots and everything, and a veteran team that's done it before. That team would in the first
0: round. Right. I mean, I think it's fair to say, Dan, that every NHL team that's in the playoffs right now would rather have Calgary in than the Kings, who sit one point behind them. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a, a no brainer, right? Would you rather play Brian Elliott in the Flames defense or a, or a healthy Jonathan Quick in a team that's won two championships? Yeah, the
3: team that won two championships, of course, they got Daryl Sutter behind the bench. They got Andy Kapitar. I mean, we've got that devastating defense of Drew Dowdy and everything and company. Yeah, like I said, if LA makes their way in, they will be a tough out. And uh, <laughs> a team like a San Jose or an Anaheim might be worried about them because LA's had their number most recent years and everything. I mean, uh, we all remember the comeback to Kings me years ago and everything. But uh, like I said, I would be terrified of Los- the wild card teams of Los Angeles and Nashville if they both happened to shake out that way.
0: Right. And I, I just, I guess I'm not sure that. I mean, the Kings are the one team that could get in there and be that Cinderella team. I, I do think the Predators are going to hang on at the three seed and, you know, maybe do catch Chicago and, and that could be another epic first round series. But before, before we wrap this up, Dan, we do have to talk about one of the worst teams I've seen in my lifetime. This year's Colorado Avalanche team, I mean, they have 32 points and we're sitting here and they're going into the second week of February. It's historically bad. We looked at this roster. We looked at how tough the Central Division was. We didn't expect them to be great. But did anybody see them being this poor? I mean, they can't compete on most nights. I thought it helped a little bit better. I thought Semyon
3: Varlamov was of a capable goalie before he went down with his hip injury and everything. But uh, this team doesn't have an identity. You know, in the world of advanced where advanced statistics were Corsi and Fenwick and all these other wonderful statistics are coming out and teams like Chicago and Los Angeles have been the leaders of this thing. Well, they have this really good approach where, yeah, they rely on depth, but they also rely on gut. Joe Tackett is basically saying, nah, we're not going to do that. We're not yeah. going to rely on depth. We're going to go by old-fashioned hockey field. Well, your player evaluation needs to be a little better if you're going to fly in the face of such wonderful statistics and everything. And I think Patrick well, had it right when he's like, yeah, i got to get out of here because was is a uh, very temperamental coach, but, I mean, but he's had success at the junior level. what he did in Quebec City, and it was the Quebec Major Junior. He made that team a contender, and he got them fired up, but he when the first season with the Avalanche. But you really got to wonder that defense is less to desired, and you really got to feel for guys like Duchenne and, and Nate McKinnon and Gabriel Landis guy. These are some good young players that some prime of their careers are being wasted right now. Just Laboring on this Colorado team. And uh, like I said, I think they're going to end up being the uh, favorite to get Nolan Patrick and everything. Yeah, he's yeah. nice and all, but you wonder if they should go defense with their number one pick or one of the lottery, what, deep lottery picks and everything. But this thing needs to be reevaluated. Joe Sakic might have been much longer for his uh, job, and he was a beloved figure and everything in Colorado, but. Sometimes you just gotta think you gotta blow it up, and Stan Kroenke, the owner, really gotta take a hard look in the mirror. If he cares about his hockey team, he's gotta do something, and he's gotta do
0: something quick. Well, it's always good to bring up Stan Kroenke, especially on a uh, a sports show, in terms of caring about what the state of his product on the on the ice is. I do think that Joe Sakic. If he wasn't the beloved figure, I don't. I think the end would have already happened. I think he's getting by on his goodwill right now. Patrick Waugh came <laughs> in, like you said, energized the franchise, but was definitely reckless. You watch those games, some of his decisions or really some of his inactivity couldn't be explained. He, he looks like he has psychic powers getting out of this horrible situation. But, you know, it's the same thing. I agree with you. They don't have an identity. They don't really play defense. They're not... They're not in it for all three periods. This team goes long gaps of, of games without performing. And, you know, one of the telltale signs that I, know, that I noticed is a couple years ago, they let good veteran players, guys like Paul Stasny, get away from them in free agency that didn't want to come back, that the Avalanche didn't make a serious runoff, run at, and they thought they can get by with just young talent. And you know as well as anybody, Danny, that doesn't work that way in the NHL. You need a veteran presence in that locker room.
3: You need the role players. You need the veteran guys who have been there before. Cause you're putting a lot on the young guys' shoulders, like McKinnon, the Landis guy. asking them to be leadership. Yeah, that's nice and everything. But you gotta have some veteran backups and everything. Say, hey, listen to these guys, the captains. You know, I mean, not that there's any. I don't think there's any lack room problems or anything in Colorado. But it's just, it's just a mess down there. And they gotta find somebody that's going to. Uh, a stabilizing force and everything. And I really feel bad for uh, the coach Cable from Cleveland's AHL last year. I mean, people want to call him for his head. He doesn't have any assets to work with. He may you know, got to start over, and you got to at least give him two, three, four years to, to figure this thing out. And, uh, he's got no favors playing in the central division with teams like Chicago, like a young, up and coming team you like know, Winnipeg.
0: Right, and you look at stats, stats tell the, a lot of the story. The Washington Capitals have more shutouts than the Avalanche have wins in the last month of the season. So that's, that's where we're at right now with the Colorado Avalanche. And Dan, b- before we wrap this up, I do want to ask you about that trade deadline. We talked about Duchesne, We talked about how it's an interesting market. Teams not sure if they're buying or selling. They're going to probably wait till up until the deadline. Are there some names out there that we should be looking at outside of the Avalanche players that could be dangled, maybe some big names that could be on the move this trade deadline? Well, I've heard some things
3: about preliminary discussions between the uh, Stars and the Penguins because Dallas still has an outside shot at getting into the playoffs and everything, and goalie is their main weakness outside of defense. I mean, the defense has gotten a little bit better. I mean, John Klingberg has fixed himself up from his early season struggles, but that 200-monster of be Fancy Miami and... And that finish monster ain't working, no. so it's not working. So I think Mark Andre Fleury is an interesting piece. If that falls through, I wouldn't. I thought they were going to take a run at Ben Bishop in the and I think that fell through. That might be something you want to look for. Some of these fringe Western Conference teams might take a run at a goalie just for something that just for a guy to be a stabilizing force in that. Because looks like Pittsburgh has found their future in uh, in uh, Matt Murray and everything, and. You wonder maybe something like an Ottawa with uh, Andrew Hammond had a pretty good half season a couple of years ago. He's in the minor leagues right now. Uh, Mike in and uh, Craig Anderson, he's team that net locked up. So someone might take a flyer on him. But like I said, I think the main concern for the Western teams that uh, need help like a Dallas. I think they're going to make a big run. And I think Nashville will try to get some sort of front-line score and everything. And it might dangle something like a Matthias uh, Coleman. They... Uh, the first or second round pick in order to get him. So uh,
0: those are the things I expect at the deadline. Right, and I think the Flurry debate is very interesting because they could try to wait up until their deadline, which is basically until next season this contract kicks up. And I don't know. I mean, that's that's an interesting one. I do think Murray's the future, and Flurry could improve Dallas as a team that can't stop anybody. I think that could be a place for him. I'm looking for teams in the West where you know who is pretty much in and who's out. Colorado, I think the Coyotes are going to be big sellers. I think we're going to see some desperate teams try to make pushes towards uh, towards some big trades. I think it's going to be a very active trade deadline. One thing I would like
3: to see, you know, mid starting Europe, but one thing I would love to see, I would love to
0: see if,
3: if the Washington wants to take a risk. I would love to see Shane Dong get traded from Arizona-Winnipeg, sort of a whole full circle. Wow. Thing. That
0: would be kind of cool. It would, and you know what? I think that's the one team, the one scenario that he would approve. I really do. He has the no-trade clause. He's 40 years old. He's one, of the, he's one of the most loyal athletes in sports. He could have jumped ship years ago. He wants to stick it out, but I think he would. I, I think he would go back to Winnipeg. Now I think the team has to get a little better on their back end before they're a serious playoff contender. And I do think, though, that this trade deadline, we're going to see very... I think it's going to start early. I think it's going to start a couple of weeks, Dan, before the actual deadline. I think the the wheels are already turning. Yeah,
3: I think you're going to see a lot of activity. I think those guys at the uh, trade shows on the, the sports that and TSN aren't going to be doing skits or playing guitar. They're going to be actually having to work. I mean, <laughs> you're going to see Bob McKenzie working the phones and everything. And if you follow the Twitters and everything, get on there and... Uh, Follow every minute because it, it's some entertaining stuff. Following, following
0: on deadline day, it is. Everybody remembers where they were when certain deals went down. Just setting up your your Trade Center app on your phone or your computer and just following the madness. Well, Dan Mount, before I let you go, I want to ask you a couple questions about the second half of the season. I know it's a there's still a, a lot of games left, but we like to get a little adventurous here on this show. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you two questions, just some general predictions. Who do you think will number one win the president's trophy and number two win the scoring title?
3: Oh, I have some good some good questions and everything. I think Washington could make a run. error. I think the Capitals over the Blackhawks in the final and everything in the beginning of the year and everything. And I'm sticking with that prediction. I think Sid Crosby wins wins the score the art Ross, but I think you see a push of Conrad David and everything because <laughs> he's been fantastic for Edmonton. So far this year, and he really was worth that number one pick and everything, and and, and sabotaging your couple of seasons. I think Edmonton finally gets into the playoffs
0: and everything, and uh, so much exultation the former city of champions. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's true. I, I do think I'm with you on the Capitals. I think they're the team. I think they're going to win the President's Trophy as great a run as the Blue Jackets were on. I, I don't know that the Penguins are necessarily built for the regular season, but. The Capitals, everyone talks about how they haven't gotten the job done. But if you just look at their roster, Dan, they're stacked. And they have as good a chance as anyone to win the Stanley Cup this year. They ran into a buzzsaw Pittsburgh team last year. But I think they're going to win the President's Trophy. I actually like McDavid to beat Crosby in the Art Ross Trophy. And I think it's going to come from this. I think Edmonton's going to have to play more meaningful games to get into the playoffs down the stretch. And for whatever reason, I, while well, I think McDavid is unbelievable, I just don't know that Crosby's going to need to score the points that McDavid is going to score. I think he can still, at this point in his career, affect the game in other ways. I, I think McDavid does win his first scoring title at the young age of 19. Yeah, I mean, it's only going to go
3: up from here, Oilers we're so enjoy the ride. It's
0: going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, it's as I said, like this is the best time. If you're going to invest, and that's a serious, serious thing, if you're going to invest in hockey, Dan, as a young fan of the Oilers, obviously, but say the Maple Leafs, say the Sabres, say just any team, really just the sport of hockey. This is one of the best times ever to do it with all the young talent in the game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I argued last year in my article
3: around the All-Star break that they ought to bring back the rookie sophomore game for the, for the kids who don't make the All-Star game because I guarantee it would be a perfect way to market the young stars and everything. and You'd see some pretty good hockey out of that. Imagine the lineup last year with the Michaels. Davis and everything, having to turn around and face these other guys and everything, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it would be quite, it would be quite the, quite the experience, and you could easily market it. And it it's one thing at the NBA that's very well is they have.
0: It definitely would have. And the one thing about those young guys is the ones that made the All-Star game, they'd still have the energy to play the next day or, the, or two days later. I think I'm with you. We need to see more young stars and more ways to just get McDavid and Eichel and Matthews and, and Line A on the ice. So I am with you there. Well, Dan Mount, thanks for joining the program. We can find you at twi- on Twitter, Dan Mount Sports. Thanks for joining the program, Talking Hockey. We'll definitely have to get you on here again. I oh, appreciate it. Thanks for
3: having me on, man.
0: Special thanks to both CJ Deer and Dan Mount for coming on the show today. A reminder that you can find the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Wherever podcasts are found, really, just search Money Mitch Effect. And follow me at Twitter, Money Mitch M21 for sports and other takes. I did want to mention Charles Oakley. That was a very bizarre situation, him getting essentially arrested and charged with assault and the Knicks tried to get their former legend to leave. He sitting behind... James Dolan, John McEnroe was there. Big ugly scene there. Just, it's not what you want. Not what you want for a franchise that's trying to figure out an identity. They're having crisis every other day. But all right, that's the show. Thanks for listening. We've been churning out content. I appreciate everyone out there for being a part of it. I'm Mitch Michaels. Have yourself a great weekend. And remember to enjoy sports for what they are. Fun, fun, exciting things. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.